Welcome back to True House Stories. Frankie Fonset with the spliff. Like, I know we got a story about that spliff in a minute because he was with me and nothing happened. We'll talk about that later. So go ahead. So wait, now it's 1987 Def Jam, um, Def Jam Tour. Def Jam West. Tour, yeah. Take it away. Early 88, early 88 um, we're sort of forming the idea to do um, black market records. Um, they're getting the, I'm becoming the guy around town. I'm like DJing more and more. Um, everyone knew me anyway as like the up and coming, the next kid or whatever you want to call it and I would say at this time now all the reps were coming in they're all bringing me records so it's heading into 88 what a classic year you're talking about albums like Payton Paul Eric B and Rakim um a lot of the UK guys went out to New York for the closing party at the garage so Bobby and Steve and those guys I know they went out there I didn't go, but I've been to New York many times by this time now. Um, um, I was a big disciple of Bruce Forrest. I met like Larry, uh, met T. Scott. Didn't meet Tony Humphreys yet, but we went round to all the labels and stuff like that, and we were looking for records. Didn't get to go to too many clubs because Abby wanted to keep me out of harm's way. But I was well up for Latin Quarter and Union I Square bet. and. 1018 and Heartthrob or whatever was going, I wanted to like check all that out. I heard of Louis Vega. I met Louis. Big up Louis. Super talented guy. Lovely guy. Never changed. Big respect. Same guy. Yeah, um, same way. Same way he was then. He's but same I was way. even selling. I was even selling freestyle records and stuff because anything that was mixable, I could mix it in. Like Silent Morning, Information Society. I was killing that. So, um. FFRR, they were doing the South House Music album, but it wasn't popular yet. So um, Johnny Walker was telling me about Shum, but I think the guys that came up from Ibiza, it was a perfect storm of um, of like the happy music and, and obviously the atmosphere of Ibiza. But I was coming from the New York underground and uh, the kind of loft because when you see David Mancuso's like playlist, that's just a black party playlist, you know, like Nicodemus, Bowman Connection, Sun Palace, um, Soul Makosa, all those records. It's just a black party. But so, but so I was mixing that stuff um, and with classics, and you know, listening to the New York records, listening to the New York mix shows. I knew that that's New York star. With my London style, I need a classic. And of course, we grew up through the 70s with all the Philadelphia. So, style, style, and all that. I knew that stuff inside out. I remember being a kid and seeing Instant Funk. I got my mind up. with mixed, mixed by Larry Levan and Little Writing, and it stuck, stuck to me. And it was just seeing the his picture as a kid in 1981, he had a skull cap on. He was very muscular. And that was an influence on me. Um, because I'm bringing that into the fashion side of it now as well. It was all about looking fly because if you were going to be the DJ, you had to look fly. You couldn't look like everyone else. So, like seeing Paul Anderson, the way he dressed, I wanted to do that. But we took it further with the high fashion by going to Italy and stuff. So when Black Market opened, 
it was like spring and shum had started to blow up and it was the perfect time because we only were going to sell house and new york and underground and classic and we just had the records on the wall and the sound system with the two turntables so i was the first guy in there i was just mixing all day and i hired i hired chose all the right people to come if someone came in and they wanted like rap or something we'd say go to groove records this is and somewhere in that springtime the guys that were coming back from ibiza started to put on nice i knew open since i was like about 15 or 16 because he worked for death jam in the uk he worked for as doing promotions so he would give me records and stuff Funny story, I was in Kiss FM when it was a pirate, and Oakenfold followed me. I did two shows, but I had to travel so far, and there was no money in it. And I thought, I'm not doing this. I'm traveling in the middle of the night. Imagine no mobile phones. You can't call anyone. You're calling from a phone box at three in the morning, and then you go into like this dark, dangerous place in parts of London to broadcast. You're not getting paid, and then you spend the whole night making your way back home. So I said, I'm not into that. I'm just going to be a club DJ. And open phone followed me. Big, small world. So when Black Market opened, that was the perfect storm of, I think, what really pushed it over the edge was people really wanted to party longer. And then, as you know, certain other additional things that people discovered in Ibiza that hadn't arrived in London, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that was the perfect pharmaceutical, because, pharmaceuticals pharmaceutical, type pharmaceutical, stuff. Pharmaceutical type <laughs> things that made people feel so good inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So me being all naive, guys, I remember Chucky, DJ Chucky, Young Rev, rest in peace Rev, and Harvey, they had their little crew of shimmers. And they would come into the store in the middle of the day. They would be partying in the store. And I'd be like, wow, these kids are really, really, like, upbeat, you know. I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> but then... They're happy all day long. Happy all day long, yeah. <laughs> and before you know it, us, the black market, we crushed all the competition. There was no competition. Because the music... I was getting it, I would get like um, hip hop bebop in and I'd play the B side, Heat Stroke, which is a high energy record. I would be getting Clyde and MBO back in. I'd be getting all the classics that people had never heard. And I was selling them with all the new house and I had all the contacts. So I was getting everything. And as I played it, it flew out. And then what happened was the acid house just busted man it just busted open and whereas at that time just a few years before the television would go off at like two in the morning there would be no more channels it'd be like thank you good night and people were going home and going to bed suddenly people wanted to stay out later and it was the house music so before you knew it myself kid bachelor colin Favor. Eddie Richards, we locked down the scene. We locked it off because we were the best mixers, yeah? And we had all the music 
And anyone that's saying they had more music, nonsense. Like I've been importing. I've been importing all the music that they, the DJs bought since 87, 86. So we were killing. And the raves and raves just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember at the height of all that, I said, I really want to start doing remixing. Um, and Nick and Rene wanted to do the label. So we came to New York on a pilgrimage to try and sign records. Our main goal was to sign Liz Torres because we loved Liz and we loved Masters of DJ. And in my opinion, at that time, they had the best production and she was the best artist. At that time, I still consider her the original queen of house to this day. Even with, even with Crystal Waters and CC and everyone else, I love you guys. She was the first, me, queen, first one. The first and the fastest. And even if you listen to Can't Get Enough Now in the oh. City, Quest, and I know Larry loved Liz. Oh my God, so, everything of hers. Everything. Yeah, everything. Even Mama's Boy, everything, yeah? So we, our quest was to sign Liz Torres. So what, la- Tommy- what label were you working with to sign this? Or what was the label? There's going to be Black Market Records. It's going to be Black Touch Market. Touch of Love. Touch of Love by Liz Torres came out on Black Market Records. But at this time, it's very interesting. You know, like in the rap guys, they say player haters. We didn't know this word yet, but we soon discovered it because I don't think people were ready to have a shop be successful and a record label. So there was some pushback. But we signed Adonis because I thought Adonis was the hottest, like hardest hitting guy at that time. Oh, hell yeah. So what, to me, like the Pope, everything that he was touching was hard and it appealed to me because to me, to me, like No Way Back is like the template. That to me was like what made everyone that weren't into it, you could play anyone, even a reggae sound would be, yeah, fuck all that shit. That shit's good. <laughs> so, um, so my quest was to get with Adonis. Um, Todd Terry was still hadn't like kicked yet. He hadn't gone on that run of like Black Riot, Bang Bang. You know that run that he had of Hard House, check this out? He hadn't gone on that run yet. So we came, We went around all the labels in New York to try and find stuff, but because Acid was really big in the UK, I wanted to sign some New York records, but we couldn't find anything. And I was telling you the story, we went up to Death Mix, but it was really for the record then. And Judy said, Crazy's uh, got a project that he worked on in Japan. Would we like to hear it? So he said, yeah, sure, why not? It'd be great. I love Frankie. I, I, I met Frankie. I met Frankie out there at that time, but he wasn't that known outside of New York at that time. Um, and she played us tears. Wasn't that level yet. Not yet. Yeah, not yet, right? In Chicago, and, he's, and we know his story now. We all know his story. Frankie would have maybe been if he had stayed in New York, but... He made his name in Chicago. So she played a tip. What was tears? And we thought, yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. But both me and Rene said, um, it'd be a bit too soft for now. And then she said, well, we're going to get Robert Owens. So Rene was like, well, we're working. We're, we're already doing stuff with Larry Heard. So if we want a Mr. Fingers record, we just get one there. But so, but it was just a brief play, you know? So, 
we passed on tears, basically. Yeah, we could have. But to be fair, I'm sure it would have been crazy expensive. And and at that time, it wouldn't have been an immediate hit. Right. Yeah, so we passed on it. So, But then, you know, a year later, it had the vocals. We did High and Hope, which we'll come to. Um, so 88 was crazy. You know, I played at Shum three times. Twice, maybe. So hang um, on, everyone. For you elders and youngings that come into the show, Shum is the Danny Rampling, Jenny Rampling Club. Danny Rampling yeah. later on to be. He's Frankie's Frankie's getting in there. He's getting his play now because he's becoming a hot spinner in London. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because from the store, everyone, Pete Tong, he, Nicky Holloway, I knew from the soul days. And he used to come in the store, and I was getting a really big reputation that I didn't even use my second name at the time. It's Frankie Black Market. I know later on there's a drum and bass DJ known as Nicky Black Market, or he became Nicky Black Market after Frankie Black Market. So Astoria was the biggest club in London, and they had the trip there. And this was like 2000. People spilling out onto Tottenham Court Road. Imagine like 42nd Street. People spilling out into there. Yep. Pharmaceutically aided. Um, cars are like pumping music out. Move your cars. body. Move your yeah, body. Everybody, everybody's played Can You Feel It, Royal House. Yeah. Pop, 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 it. Pop, party people. people. <laughs> party people. More. More. So Pete says to me, Can you, I would like you to stand in for me. I'm like 19, 20, you know. So, but I'd already been playing on the sound system, so it didn't hold any fear for me. So I went in there and, like, I can humbly go, I tore it down in there. So I was, like, playing out a story. I said, big up Nicky Holloway. He knows that I've got mad love for him. Another dime. Another dime. The yeah. Big prime promoter. So from there, I just went, I was, like, Starting to spin everywhere. Uh, all the big parties. Oakenfold, he was going to the new music seminar and he said, Can you stand in for me at Spectrum? It was called Land of Oz now. So these are like 1,500, 2,000 deep. I'm 20 years old and I'm tearing it down. And I'm starting to put the New York music into the ashes. I remember I played a party for. Um, for confusion, that was Nicky Tracks. It's all acid. And the last two songs I played, I played Set Fire to Me into Don't Make Me Wait as the last song. And I was ever so. Uh oh. Better get Mako. We lost my man. He'll come back. Big ups to Harry Romero, everybody in. Oh, it was just getting really good. I hope we can get him back. One more time, let me make sure you all know we got Linda Clifford this coming week. Hopefully, we can get Frankie Fonset back. Please come back, Frankie. He must have lost Wi Fi for a moment. Oh, th these shows are so important because we're telling, we're unlocking stories that the people that were in the pit, basically, that were around it all. You know, unless you were in the crew, you would never know what really went on. But we shall see if he comes back. Um, 
I don't know. It's here. Frankie's back. Thank God. Okay. I'm back. Sorry about that. That's all right. We kept them. We kept them entertained. So okay. So, so uh, I was ever so pleased that I managed to work those records in. And I went to her and I was like, "How good was?" It? I was thinking like I really killed it. And I played some New York. And she said, "No, I don't. I didn't like it. I didn't like it." And I was like, "Wow." And this is when I understood that people didn't get it. And it started to put something in my mind that I need to show people more than just like Acid House. And that's when I had the idea for, because I was now getting really bored with just, just playing. Just. And although like I did really well, I was like, I really want to show the music that I love and the, and the, and the underground what's happening in New York. Right. Play all the stars, the classics. So I came up with the idea for Higher and Hope. And I went to, I tried to find the venue and I saw Patrick Lilly. And he was the PR guy, whatever you want to call him. And I went to explain to him what I wanted to do. And he took me to a club called the Daisy Chain, which was like a, a gay night where it was all high energy. At that time, it was all the gay clubs in London. They just played like Kylie Minogue, all that stuff, all the PWL stuff. And high energy. So I was like, no, this is not it. But right. somehow between him and Norman, Norman being the Philadelphia guy and has been to New York, he spoke to Norman about it. And Norman said, yeah, this would be a good idea. So that formed the, the idea to do High and Hope. So while everyone else was doing all the, the Acid House, we got the venue and we were only going to play New York style. And even Norman will admit this to himself, he didn't mix at all then, right? At all, yeah? So it would be Patrick's PR, Norman's um, following, and my young energy. And we started the night. And what was good is Norman's the Good Times sound system, Joey J, he had the reggae sound system. So he had the crossover and all that stuff, the noise box. And I brought my reel-to-reel for the delay. So the first couple of weeks, it wasn't very busy because people were still com- people were coming down. They weren't used to, like, the tempo. But eventually, after about three weeks, I had the sirens going. What was a big influence on me was not just the, the garage or the Zanzibar, but really um, baseline with Gina Vasquez. I really wanted to do that style there. And we had the big sound system, reggae sound system, right. playing. And I was doing all the cut, cutting all the bass out, bringing it in, everything that the Ron Hardy stuff. I was really working the EQ and everything. And before you know it, that night just went absolutely bonkers. And that was the template for what became Ministry of Sound everything in Europe. The first night that had um we broke so many acts there like Blaze. We had in Vogue PA when in Vogue were like the biggest group. We had in Vogue, we had Gwen Guthrie, we had Blaze, we had um Lita Holloway. Um every A and R man would come down to like find records to break records. So it's over now. Crystal Waters, I had all everything. I had it all unreal. Um, tears, I broke that there. Um, 
in one and in one night you would have like ABC, the band ABC. You'd have this, you'd have Paul Weller there. You'd have Soul to Soul. You'd have my incredible producing good friend Nelly Hooper, um, who produced Soul to Soul, and he'd be like producing Tina Marie or someone at the time. It was full of everyone, and we set the trend. So I just wanted to clarify something. All these guys that are now so into it, I never met them at that time. I never met them. I never met them. So were they fans, or they were just were they? Oh, some of the people that they claim to that write for magazines and stuff, they weren't there. You know, and Why do you say that because. It's funny you say that because a lot of times I get people say to me, you remember when I met you? And I'm like, no, no, no. And I mean, I, get, my assistant always laughs about that. She's like, Lenny, they, yeah. they, they talk to you like they know you. I'm like, yeah, I, I never got any coverage in particular publication. And I was like DJ of the year. I was remixing Paula Abdul. I've, re I've worked on on Lisa Stadio all around the world. I played the bass line on the DJ Mark 45 King remix because I was doing as many R&B mixes as I was doing house mixes. I got mad love from Brian Chin, Bill Coleman and Larry Flick in Billboard. And I would struggle to get a mention in, I'm not even going to mention these magazines, but I'm sure people know who I'm talking about. I never got mentioned. So, like Blues and Soul? Like that? No, not Blue and Soul, like DJ Magazine on Mixmag. To this day, I never had an article. Well, they did, DJ Magazine did an article on me once, and I was, they were asking me, um, like, what's your favorite part of the night? And I said to them, well, one of my favorite parts of the night is what well, after you've worked them to the bone, and then you take the music down for the last few records with slow music. And I said it, I said, um, they call this set in the in New York the morning music or the sleeve set, and then they took that line and they made the art heading of the article Mr. Sleeve. But obviously, I wasn't very pleased about that. So no, yeah, I, I could know see what was this. I could see so that. I couldn't use it, and I don't know what their motivation was behind it. And to this day, um, I don't feel like Paul Anderson. He didn't get a front cover when he passed away. I feel that he's never been really represented. So it's great that we have this well, platform now. Just so everybody knows, I went to, to Paul's funeral. Yeah, you were there. I was there. I cried. And I went to the after party at the electric ballroom and I spoke. It was too, it was too much for me. I couldn't go because the electric ballroom, was, it was too much for me because I, I really cried. You know, because Paul really played a big part in my well, life. I told that to everybody in the microphone. I said um, in the yeah. speech, I said um, a lot of the fellas wouldn't have careers if it wasn't for him yeah. breaking his records. Yeah, yeah. And he was the one that made us believe. And then he passed the baton. And the thing about Paul, he had no problem encouraging you because, in some way, like he would tell me, "I'm so proud of you because you're doing everything that." I wanted to do and I always looked out for him and he always looked out for me and even you know we were the first guys that were really getting money like that you know having Rolexes and driving like white and and all that and we and Paul would like 
drive and we would enjoy each other's company and it was all love and I can't say that it's been like that with a lot of people as you know in, this, in that, our business our friendship we don't see each other for many years but the love is there the comfort is there because we saw each other because it's genuine and we didn't I didn't get into this stuff to be voted the number one DJ because the people on the street called me fabulous country, you know. I didn't give myself that name. Just like Marvel, Marvin and Hagler or whatever. And it's a compliment to me because when I used to go to play, you know, I'd give them everything that I could, you know. And as you know, it's, it's not the same with everyone, but we're going to keep everything. Yeah, but alive. you got to realize something, Frankie. you got to realize something. I mean, let, let's, let's not go bitter, but we got to tell the truth. When you're in the position that you are fabulous, yeah, everybody wants a piece of you. It's the truth. Yeah. So yeah. there's a, there's a there's a, a, a interference in your mind that you forget that it's not it's not the realness of friendship. It's more like yeah. Yeah. they love me, but you forget why they yeah. love you because yeah. you're in the you're inside of it. It's hard to explain to people this. I yeah. tell them. I put in a lot of work to get to the position where you get offered the resident DJ of Ministry of Sound. Well, let's be, let's let's before we even get to that, let's talk about sure. how does this this transition uh, from High and Hope become the studio guy? Like, wh where does okay. that? Be? Okay. Explain that a little what bit. What happens is I've always been harboring the idea. Um, really, I wanted to be an executive because I looked at like Lewis Silas. Um, at MCA, and he was mixing all the records and A&Ring them. Um, but if New Edition, he had, came out with a record, or, or Jody Watley, he would do the mix as well, and he would like put the producers. Because my knowledge, it was widely accepted that I was a really talented person, because look at how many acts I kind of ushered, helped usher in a new form of music that was taking over the world. Right. I remember suddenly there were house mixes on stuff, and I would come to New York, and a lot of New York guys that were up-and-coming producers or remixers, they said, oh, yeah, man, I want to get out to London. And I was like, well, we're still breaking it here. But then suddenly the music started to break, and they wanted to use American DJs, and I get it. There's a, there's a sexiness in it, uh, kind of like, because I grew up with it. I remember when I saw um, Central Live, you know, the Larry Levan remix or Changes, the US remix or, you know, T. Scott when he did Junior, Mama used to say, the New York mix or whatever. But I, I understood it. Um, but I wanted to really learn. And I, as I said, my cousin was, was the keyboard player with Eddie Grant. So <laughs> I've been to studios and stuff. And what I decided is out of my own penny, I had some money saved. I said to the guys at Black Market, I want to go off and become a remixer, start doing mixes. So I went to, came to New York and I went around all the studios. I went to say I went to Detroit, Chicago, and New York. I went to Chunking, Right Track, um, Platinum Island, all those famous studios. Um, Power Play, even a hip hop one. Just to see the guys at work, you know, what they were doing, you know, Teddy Riley, all these guys. Um, then I went to Detroit and I stayed with like Derek May. 
I learned how to edit there. That was an eye-opener. And where Derek lived, where there was Kevin Saunderson, MK, a young MK. What a tremendous producer. A yeah. young MK. Big time. You have, you have Mark, Mike Hitman Wilson, Lil Lewis, not Lil Lewis, Chicago's Lil Lewis, and you had Juan Atkins. So I learned all that stuff, how to program an 808 and stuff, but I'm dyslexic. So if I couldn't like learn how to do something without reading the manual, I didn't bother. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I was dyslexic because no one diagnosed it. But I had difficulty like reading stuff. Not that I can't read, but like I didn't want to read like massive manuals. So if I couldn't turn something on and learn how to do it straight away, so engineering wasn't going to be for me. So when I came back, I said started to go to record companies, and I said, "Look, I can remix, I can mix, I don't have to edit." And I started getting some. Mixes. The first ones were R and B ones, um, and at the same time, this is the same time Soul to Soul had, um, well, he were just blown up with Back to Life. So I was doing records by the Times, and I was cutting up the the funky drummer and using the snare and separate kick and all that stuff, like what Marley Marl was doing. Right. And at that time, I became the go-to guy. The first two or three R&B records I did, the, maybe the third one was all around the world, um, Lisa Stanfield. And what happened is I worked on the record and put the bass line on the remix, and then they sent it out to DJ Mark, and DJ Mark added drums, but on the DJ Mark US mix that sold for two or three million and gets played by Ron G and DJ Doo-Wop and all those guys, that's my, my uncredited baseline on that. Right. You, you learn the business. Um, and then more and more mixes. I got I got a really good programmer who went to do your roof mix and stuff like that. Um, and again, Bruce Forrest, I love you, Bruce, the Don. I'll tell you a funny story about Bruce. I was, I was DJing at Heaven. And for most of my life, I just thought Bruce was black. Because the records he made were so black, you know, like Fonda Ray. Yeah. It was a huge black record. Touch mm -hmm. me. Like any party you went to, even if it was a reggae party, they would play Touch Me. So for me, whenever I saw Bruce Forrest, and I'm sure I saw a picture of him in the dance music report that he it was a white guy, but just in my mind, I always thought he was black because the records he made were so black. Yeah. And whenever I heard any takes, I was fortunate enough to hear any takes of him. He was on that kind of aggressive. He wasn't like Tony and Timmy. No, you're right. All sorts of shit flying off. So I just thought he was black. So he came up to he came up to me and um he came up to me and he introduced himself and he said that uh, I'm Bruce he said it's Paul Oakenfall here. I said, No, I'm standing in for him. He's um He's in New York. So I said, he says, I said, who are you? Because he had the DMC thing. So he said, who are you? So he says, I'm Bruce Forrest. I said, get me no out way. of there. No way. You? You're not Bruce Forrest. <laughs> and then from there, we hit it off. And he used to come home and home. And it was just a thrill for me to have, like, my hero. Yeah. Sit in there. And that made me play my skin out. I bet. Bruce, I bet, man, I was going, I was going in because 
I was show, I had to show him the influence that he had on me. And we were trying, you know, I really love Bruce. He's a great guy. Really, really fantastic guy. And out of all my remixes, when it comes to overdub, the stuff he did with David Cole, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah. So then I started learning more and more. And then um, I didn't have the budget. And we didn't have the expertise that we had in New York. You had in New York. Because I would turn up with my MPD and at Psalm or whatever, and they would be working with the Pet Shop Boys and, you know, Trevor Horn and this one and, you know, um, Bob Clare Mountain and all these big, massive guys. And they'd be like, what are you doing with this? This is a joke. And I was like, yo, this is what they use in New York. And they were like, no, this is bullshit. You need, like, proper stuff. <laughs> And then the guys you'd get in to do overdubs, I played bass line and all my stuff. I didn't know keys, but I, st- I, I knew. And I'm really proud that my biggest record, which was Fingers Closer, that's me playing on there. So it comes from somewhere else. It's not just me. It's not me. Beautiful. I Beautiful. Credit. It's, 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 yeah. Um, that comes from. So the remixing thing was good for me, but I've quickly realized I didn't have the patience to be in the studio all the time. I didn't enjoy it as much. And also, I would do some really good work, and at that time, the press were really, it was really kind of like, they had their people they wanted to promote, and I would have like a massive record, and then I would get a big write-up in Billboard. And I wouldn't get a write-up in Mixmag or something. And it was, like, disheartening for a young kid, you know, because I thought that people would want to get behind me. And I realise now that it's some kind of politics or what have you. All love to you guys. I'm sure you're not the same people working there now or whatever, but you could have crushed a young man's dream by uh, if I wasn't as resilient as I was. And I didn't have the love of all the other people. Um, and you know, I had I had like a budget of like five thousand, and maybe, and at this time, I'm not competing with like Dave Leon or someone or Booker. I'm competing with Chef Pettibone and Morales and Knuckles and Clavillis and Cole, but half the budget right? because you need the budget to mix. You can do incredible overdubs, but if you haven't got time to like mix it with fresh air not you know you're starting a mix you've got overdubs and then you're starting to mix at three in the morning you haven't gone home your ears are so tired you need to like go and you've got another day to come in and do stuff so, so sure. the great the good work that i did i'm really proud of it um but I, I don't think that um, I enjoyed remixing and producing as much. And I'm not a guy that can do formulas, you know, like, you know, to be a good remixer, you need to, like, keep doing the same thing a lot, you know? Yep. And I, I couldn't do that. And, and the, all, the other thing, I was doing R&B. They were like, well, I'm going to get, they were like, I'm going to get Todd Terry to do his thing. I want you to do a smooth mix, you know, right. for radio or something. My stuff would come out, and people would be like, "For the Todd mix," and I'd be like, "No, I'm not saying that I could do what Todd does. Because Todd is one of a kind; he's a beast, you know." But 
I could just, but I was like saying they, they wanted me to do a particular type of softer thing. So uh, after a while, I had a really good run, but I really entered into, you know, doing the, the New York stuff, doing the, the DJ. And that culminated in me getting offered a residency at Ministry. I'm just going to get a plug to like plug in there. So give me one minute. Okay, okay plug it in. We're getting, we're getting closer and closer and a little more closer getting to, the, to the heat. We're getting closer to the heat. We're getting closer. We're getting closer to the heat. Let me just pop this in. Bear with me, folks. We won't move. Stay with us, everyone. Frankie's going to give us the science of how ministry happens. He's getting ready to plug it in. Beautiful. 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 All good? Yep. Good. Cool. So, so basically, um, I've been playing at ministry now. I've been doing lots of uh, guest spots. And I did a lot of tours for them. And it seemed to be like I was getting really I was getting requested a lot. And, of course, when you guys were coming over to play, mm-hmm. um, I was playing with everyone. You know, I played with, like, all the legendary guys. Danny Tenaglia. Anyone that had a hot song out, I was on the bill with them. And in 95, 96, CJ was already resident. And... They thought that they needed someone else to come on board, and that's when the opportunity arrived. Fabulous, so Frank the ministry, and I and I think that like it was a good move for them because I could hold my own with anyone that came over, you know. Yeah. Um, because I played with everyone. I mean, a lot of guys. I saw a lot of guys come there and freeze because. You're getting people that really know their music. And we turned it out, man. And you got the sound system. I mean, when Larry played there, oh, my God, he just crushed it, you know. And everyone was, like, kind of, like, devious. Because I was I was a Larry disciple since I was, like, 13 years old. So I had, it was like he was coming to show us if he could still do it. And he more did to still do it, yeah. Um, so I got in there and my first thing I wanted to do was put more punch into the music. I took it from being all the New Jersey sounds to started to play more mood to swing, more, more deep dish, um, alongside, um, the records, all the early tribal stuff. So my biggest records there was fired up from the Green Dogs. Huge record everywhere. I had it a long time before anyone else. I went into Virgin, and they gave me the Daft Punk album on cassette. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I heard Burning, I re-edited it straight away. So months before it blew up, months before, it, when the funk was just out, I was already playing Burning. I made it a huge anthem there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took really, we really broke some huge, huge ground with that club. 
because suddenly you were getting all the, the all the dancers, all the dancers, inverted commas, that are coming out of like working all all the all the nightclubs that are finishing at five or whatever. Or like Nigel Ben and all his crew, world champion boxer, he was coming down with his little entourage. And they wanted to, and they related to me because I was the guy that they've seen come from all the sound system days through Acid House, mm-hmm. through remixing to now being in the club. And I understood how to like work the sound system. A lot of times guys came over and some guys did really, really well. And other guys didn't do as, uh, as well. Some guys would they'd have a hot song out, but they weren't really DJs, but they took the DJ job because they got a hot song out. And then they got to play for four or five hours. And I would, you know, be upstairs chilling, and then they'd say, Frankie, you need to go back on. They've cleared, such and such, it's cleared the front room. Everyone's in the bar. I'm like, dude, I, I want to go home. In there, like, all night. <laughs> and they're like, no, like, you've got to go back on, you know. I know Louis did really well always. Um, David was always loved. Um, um, we had some really incredible nights. The second birthday, we had CNC Music Factory with Martha Wash. We had India and Robert Clavillis and David Cole. We're really lucky if you got to see. I'm sure you saw these guys many times in New York. But this was the first time they um, DJed there, and people got to see David like play keyboards over. God bless you, David. Like, amazing talent. Um, and I'd say for two years, that was like a really reshape, helped reshape um, the music. Because what people were re- reading about in the magazine, saying this guy or that guy is the guy, it, it weren't in London. Right. I mean, I went up, I went, because London was a very specific thing. They, they would bring, what I think kind of started me to lose a little heart with the scene was, a lot of people were coming out of university and getting jobs in London. Mm-hmm. They loved all this kind of renaissance and all these northern music. Happy house or whatever. Right. You know? And they would, they, they would be telling me, oh, you're not as big as like such and such. And I'm like, yeah, those magazines don't cover us. You know? They, they have this, they'd have such, whoever on the cover saying there's this guy the savior of dance music and he would like they would come to london and flop at ministry and after a while i decided to think i'm I'm the resident dj this means everyone's coming in to like take my position but no one's taking it no one's like ever knocked me out at my spot in terms of music, but they were getting more prestige in terms of like magazine press and stuff. Right. And what happened was I think this is the time when subliminal was starting to really like, get big. And I'm not sure like they never told me that but they said like, oh we're gonna get um Eric in. Right. But I was resident for like nearly years so that's like quite an accomplishment you know sure considering that 
you've got um, every hot DJ in the world during that time. And that's a golden era. I mean, if you imagine like 95 to like 90, late 98, imagine the records that come out through that. Period, it was nuts. You know? It was crazy, the amount of records and really great records. A lot of great time. A lot, a lot. You know, people loved it. We loved the 70s and that was great. And the early 80s with all the prelude and all that amazing. But imagine, you can imagine all the, Ibiza now is getting huge. Italy is getting huge. You know, when Louis and Todd, strictly rhythm now are killing, you know. Um, all these New York labels are killing. And imagine having that sound system to work on for five, four or five hours, most Saturdays. You're literally getting up. I'm, I, I was going to sleep. I'd spend my week programming, sorting my music out. And I had the same booth at home. I had a URI at home and everything, and a reel and everything. So I'd be able to do everything that I wanted at home. Then you drive 20 minutes from Camden to, to Ministry, and at 5 in the morning, you know that you're going to play to like 9 in the morning. It's going to be packed. You've got the best sound system. Right. And you can do what you want. And this is when you like to play a record for like half an hour now, you know? You know, there's there's something like Move to Swing, Move Me. Or I see you dancing or whatever. And you're working that the hell out of it. And you can turn off all the lights. I, I, I could do my own lighting. It was crazy. And then when you come off, someone else is really good, like Masters at Work or whoever's going to come on after you. So people were really spoiled. And then once, once well, then they said it's going to Saturdays is going to turn into something else. By this time, I think PJ had gone, and that was it. I never really went back after that. And what did they do? What did they do to when you when you were out of there? Did they? Send you a telegram, or did they just uh, they say, don't come back? Nothing. I was listening to Kiss FM, and and um, Eric Marino was on on one of the shows, and he said, oh, "I'm the new resident at Ministry of Sound." And I was like, "So he called and said, is Eric the new resident?'" And then they just and then and let's be clear, they gave me an amazing opportunity. The club's in my heart. A lot of people that went there during that period, they love it. They show me love all the time. I always have uh, amazing respect and fond memories. But um, this is just how it went because, as I said, you had people that in positions that really shouldn't have been in those positions. They had no history in club. They were coming out of university and then they're head of promotions there. And it was the same, I'm sure it's the same in New York. You had guys that were running labels, head of something or whatever, and they've got no experience. And and they're telling you, like, this is hot. And you're like, dude, you're supposed to you'll manage me. You're not supposed to be telling me that someone else is like hotter than me that's only been in DJ for, like, six months, you know? Um yeah, that was yeah. Let's be let's be clear. I've got nothing but love for the ministry. They gave me a great opportunity. They gave me an opportunity to do something that millions of DJs can't say. There's only maybe five DJs in the world that can say they've been resident DJ at Ministry of Sound. So there you go. 
I must have done something okay. Um, so yeah, they announced, he announced himself and then they started to like, send me on tours here and nights became less and then they just said, in the new year, then they're going to give this. And that's fine. No one can stay at the same. But it was very really, um, hard for me because then I started to have to go back on the road and do gigs and I was then had to play at places where it wasn't, you didn't have the fantasy, you didn't have all the love. No, that's how I am now in that's... 2000 playing basement jacks. No disrespect to basement jacks, but I never play that shit at ministry. But I'm doing gigs where it's a job now, you know. Music was never a job for me. I was very fortunate and very blessed that um, something that I loved, I dreamt about. I helped create my own lane. And I have to just say this, it's not an issue, but for a black underground DJ, it's very difficult, you know, because I couldn't be like Carl Cox. I can't play drums, I'm sorry, you know. No, it's got to tell you the truth, to be able to play it and do well at it, you got to like what you play. Yeah, you got to like it. I couldn't do that. And I had many opportunities where I could have, like, played, but I kept it strictly... New York, strictly underground, and I didn't want to, I couldn't, and the whole country was changing because suddenly it was starting, the whole celebrity culture was starting to come in, and now you were getting guys that were on the television that are doing gigs, and ministry kind of started to go in that direction. DJ Bruno, next week, he he mixed a compilation, he's going to be DJing, he's like, yeah, I never get. I never. I never had an essential mix, even at my very height. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. They tried to get it. I never had an article in mixtape, and I brought this up with one of the guys there, and I've got my reasons why I think these things happen, but no problem. I did very, very well. You did well regardless. I had, I had a good life. I had a good life. I'm in a great position now. Um, people show me so much love, like yourself, the New York guys, all the Chicago guys. And and what's even better is I've got my setup now and I'm nice with it. Even if I say so humble, humbly. The equipment that we have now and it's the knowledge. Well, I can remember. Frankie, hang on, brother. Let me let me ask a couple of quick key key sure, questions. Let me ask you a couple of key. Number one, what was the determining factor for you to say, I'm gonna hang the headphone up for a moment? Like really, what was that for you? Well, what happened was um I remember when I was a kid and you'd hear about like guys burning out, you know. Like, I love the band the system and you you remember you're in my system. And you want their people to go on and go on and make it make it different. But I was like, I'm not gonna be one of these guys that like is driving up here and up there and doing like crap gigs. After you've been playing resident at ministry, you're not gonna wanna go in a place that ain't got a monitor, <laughs> And like you're playing at places where like you're going to play some records that are big in IV for like Garage City and everything. I don't know. Everyone just kind of, um, where we were doing Camden Palace and stuff, a new influence is coming. And I just said, 
I'm going to take a break for it for a while. But what I started doing, I started still doing <coughs> that at all the like, celebrity clubs. So I was doing China White and Kensington Roof Garden. And I enjoyed it because there was no house people. There was no politics. I was getting money every week. <coughs> really nice crowd. Lots of celebrities. And I could play R&B and hip-hop and some commercial music, which I really enjoyed because I came from that. And I suddenly didn't have to deal with anything because it really used to start, it really got to me after a while because when you, when you lose your residency at some place, when you're resident, there's like a hundred messages on your phone. You know? And then when you're not anymore, you know, you're not that guy anymore and people don't need stuff from you. And you don't hear from anyone. You know? <laughs> that's the magic right there. That's you the just, magic. That's the magic. Rule. Perfectly correct, everyone. Listen to that carefully. Yeah, this is it. And See, I, I heard it. I went like this and went, what? They don't call. The phone stops ringing. ringing. The phone stops ringing. And Frankie, I just stopped making Frankie, myself available. I'm Frankie, just a guy with a Wait, hang on. Frankie, how you doing, baby? Can you get me on the guest list? Yeah. Frankie, yeah. where are you playing this week? Can you? Okay. Oh, wow. You got sounds of blackness at the club. Can I yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Frankie. Frankie, 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 love you, baby. I love you. Love and you, baby. Love you, baby. Love you, mom. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Then, Thank you so much. That's Anytime funny. you need anything, yeah. Let me know. Guys, move on. Yeah. And that's funny. And then you go call those people and ask those questions when you I can't do it. I can't do it, Dennis. Frankie, I can't do it, bro. I'd like to, bro, but I can't do it. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean you can't do it? I hooked you up. I don't have it. Well, I made your club. They're promoters. I won't name them. For me to go to their after party, we created the after party. Let me explain something. When ministry finished, people, my set, people didn't want to go home. So they had to find a pub to put people in. Then that pub became an after party. And that after party scene came out of me holding that crowd because you're getting all the hottest women, yeah? When I, when I used to come out of ministry, the security used to say Tupac's back. <laughs> no shirt. I know, man. <laughs> no shirt. The milk out there. Chick off the telly, yeah, with me. And everyone and all my crew rolled like that. Everything Tiny US was doing, we were doing in the 90s. We had it like that. So then that that little after party turned into two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon in the middle of Black Blackfriars Road. It's going off. <laughs> then, then people didn't want to go home. So then another after party starts. Then this became the culture where it doesn't stop till Monday afternoon, Lenny. And for me and my crew to go through there, we, you know the hottest women are going to be going through there. Of course. All the things. So eventually I started playing for them. Then the Italian promoters came along. Yeah. First, that was really cool. But then what happened is they wanted their Italian DJs. So wait, hang on, hang on. Frankie, you got a CD number one. Frankie, please yeah, yeah, give me a CD, yeah. please. Yeah, Frank. yeah, give me a CD. Yeah, Lenny, please. Lenny, please. Lenny, please, promo. please give me a promo. You please give me a promo. Lenny, please, a CD. Yeah. Okay, Frankie. 
So I, I'm going to share this with Frankie too. I'm going to share this. Let's yeah, see how it So he was with me and went to music conference in Miami. Him and, I, him and I are talking, hanging tight. We're hanging. Jelly Bee's next. Just, we're just talking. And Frankie does this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm talking. And you guys <laughs> lift him up and take him out of the club. I went, oh, shit. Frankie, what if I was back at the other party within like two minutes? I, was like, I left one party, and then when I then they I came back, I saw someone and they're like, "Where have you been?" I said, "I've already been to the other party." They took me out. They took me. I left Lenny and and Jelly Bean there. Yeah, because this is the Paul Anderson instrument. You understand? <laughs> so wait, everybody says every week, every week. Lenny has knows everybody. Yeah. I kind of do. We all hung yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Tice, I tried to live. Beautiful time. I'm we had some phenomenal times. We we cried together, laughed, and we, we danced together, danced with the great yeah. DJs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yo, Frank, you know what that record is? He's playing. No, I don't yeah. know. You yeah. know what? We need it. I need it. I need it. it. What are you letting you got I it? it? I got yeah. it. Yeah, I got it. I got you. Don't worry. We got Ricky Morrison. Always used to hook me up. Because Ricky. I was a guy, because I was a guy, I'm from the, my mum is like the Miles Davis, yeah? My mum is a very stern person. She doesn't kiss behind for no one. So if a guy didn't want to give me a tune, no problem. I'm going to get the tune regardless. And when I get the tune, I'm going to re-edit it. But I would never get, if a guy wanted to give me a tune, i get it. If he doesn't want to give me a tune, then I won't play it. No problem. Can you... Can you right now behind you? I see some some platinum looking thing. That's a few things. My Pacino. Uh, tell me, point your That's finger. Ahead, point the finger. Is, this is a sore point for me because one of my managers, I didn't know that I should get plaques and stuff. And mine would go to his house, and he would have all these plaques. But if I got all the plaques that I'm supposed to have, my mum's got a few. My at my mum's. We got the Paula Abdul, five times platinum. We got the things. But I didn't know because I was 20 years old. And he was managing me. And I'm not going to name him. Good guy. Learned a lot of business. But I learned from him. I didn't need a manager. I could manage myself. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. All, I needed, yes, all I needed was a guy to go into the meetings. Because at that time, we needed a guy that could go to the meetings. But I've been around the biggest hustlers in the, in the world, you know. But I learned the business. I had a great lawyer. But if I had all the plaques that I should have had, that I missed the opportunity, I didn't know. I would go to his house and he would have his plaque. And then I'd read in Billboard and I'd think, shit, I worked on Lisa Stansfield. That's like four times platinum. So I should have the single and the album. Yeah. But I didn't have the, a guy doing that stuff. So, like, I don't really keep a lot of artifacts, but as we call it, like, but I'm proud of what I do, but sometimes I see guys and I think, like, if I had, like, the right management that was following up stuff and really had our interest at heart, then you would be different. But, again, it's all love. We were trailblazers. We were guys at the first. So, without this now, 
without the stuff that we did, we wouldn't have the, the scene that we have now. And I really like, God bless the young guys that are doing this stuff. And But I'm glad I have this opportunity to tell my story. Because now, everybody wants to know, including me, I do know, you know, you, you, they, you pulled the break, the emergency break on the dance music whole thing. You just pulled it. Yeah. Yeah. And you turn, you took your jacket, you put it on, you said, I'm out. Where do yeah. you go from there? Where well, you- I had a few I had a few difficult times because I had never done anything but music, you know? And But did you hear your father's did you hear your father's voice in your head? Yeah, going? because I could have still done it if I wanted to. But I've I wanted to do it either at the top or or not at all. And and also, it's like, I was still getting money from DJing. I was still getting royalties from records I mixed. I was still doing behind the scenes, um, A&R, telling people. One of the groups I could have sold, signed was Soul Solid Crew. They were UK Garage Band. They sold a huge amount of records. I was behind the scenes doing wheeling and doing So I was still getting bread. Um, and I was thinking... Maybe I'll get a call in an executive, but I knew that it wasn't going to come because you really needed the right people on your side to get that. So I had a, a few rough, I had a rough year or so. And then well, I was doing the odd gig and wasn't making anywhere, coming from making like 60000 a year to like hardly making any money. I'm happy I can tell people this because I'm doing great now. And it's a great story. But can you imagine what it's like when you're like resident at ministry? You're making like nearly 70,000 a year and then you're not anymore, you know? Yeah, but don't mind everyone. He's saying the 70,000 plus he's getting remixes. He's doing other stuff in between. So he's making more money. So you're spending spending a lot of money as well. Very fabuloso lifestyle. Yeah, you've made a lot of money, but that's just how you we roll. You know, imagine if we had Instagram and stuff then. I'd have like, I'd easily have a million, two million followers. Because everything that you've seen on Instagram now, we were doing it then. Like my friend used to say, I touch so many foreign that I should be deported. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And that's cars and, and other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm laughing at now. This is this is a Trinidadian humor. <laughs> I know. I hear it. Yeah. Go ahead, selector. Take uh, us on a journey. So, so I said the two things I know are fashion and fitness. So I started to study nutrition and I started working for a lot of in the fitness industry. And people some people would recognize me, like, yeah, aren't you trying to concert? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this now. They would be surprised. But I still, I still had the residency in town, but I was like playing R&B and stuff. Really select crowd, two, three hundred pound a night. Just kicked my hand in. And I'm glad I did that because it kept my skills sharp. Yeah, of course. read a crowd and everything. But I never posted anything on Facebook. I didn't want anyone. You know, when you're DJing, you're driving everyone. You're dropping people off. No one can drive. Everyone's asleep. There's guys that met their wife through you. Yeah, that they, they you know you're not even in touch with them anymore. There's guys that got in places that they'd never get into, but I didn't want that anymore. 
I didn't mention that I was doing anything. I was doing places like where all the top football players would go, all like the top celebs would go. What, like string fellows? No, no, underground places where it was where they were still playing like commercial house, but it was more like this is where like like Flowrider would come in there and spend like thirty grand on a table and all that kind of shit. I the tell bottle, people like almost like bottle service nightclubs. Yeah, yeah. bottle service stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I then after the fit, when YouTube came out and stuff, everyone could had access to like information. So I got out of the fitness industry. I worked myself the way up, learning sales and marketing, up to being a manager. And then I said, the next thing I'll do now is fashion. So I started at the very bottom, but I started at brands like Burberry, and I worked there for like a year and stuff, a year and a bit. And then all the stuff that I learned in the music industry was very transferable. Because like, I would show people pictures of me and my Gautier and Comme des Garçons and all the stuff that they think. And they would be like, wow, you really... I've got pictures of myself in 88 with a Submariner Rolex. You know, Lenny. I'm not making this up. I know, I know. So I did what it was my opening yeah. line. The tight shirts and, and all the jewelry. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I had all that stuff. You did it before it was even cool. Well, because it was cool, yeah. Um, so I worked my way up through there. Then I worked for Fendi, Chanel, Bodega, Vanessa. This is all in the last 10 years. And now I work in one of the most exclusive parts of, like, tailoring. I won't mention the name. Um, but I learned all that stuff. So now I've got a lot of skills, man. And... When COVID hit, I had to say, thank God I did that because I'm not sure what would have happened to them. Because without that skills, without those skills, I would not have had a career, a second career. And I'm 53 now. When I tell guys at work I'm 53, take off my glasses, I can't see a thing without these, okay? But people tell me, dude, you look really well. And when I show them, like, when they Google me and they see the stuff that I've done, they're like, Jesus, this guy really was serious. And that gave me time. I'm not sure where if I would have been in the shape that I am now, like financially or mentally, you know. And it's been, thanks God, that I have people like yourself that, you know, have shown me love. And but I really have to say... It's been a blessing, and everything that I learned from the music industry has set me up for what I do now. Um, and it's been a beautiful journey. But the most important thing is, people are now coming to me and asking me to play. Well, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm not, why? Why is that? <laughs> so I'm put. I've been putting mixes out on SoundCloud, and I've been remastering a lot of my old dacks and tapes. Good, good. I'm putting them up. Um, and now I'm sure that this is going to go some way to explain to people mm -hmm. history as well. Because if anyone that goes to my Facebook page, they'll see that I really give people a lot of credit. I'd name all the DJs. I'll name Cameron, DJ Grandmaster Flowers. I'll name all the obscure sound systems. I never talk really about myself. The only reason I talked about myself in recent times is because I had to promote this. But because it's very, no. very important. 
Very true, everyone, because the best promotion is your promotion. Yeah. You'll be the best promoter. No one will promote as well as you promote. Yeah, very true. You know that, um, Lenny. And anyone that's listening, Lenny is a true Renaissance man. He's a soul man. Like when, like if you understand cars, you can look at a car, I hear the engine, and you know, like I know about DJing, I know about music, especially electronic music, black music, sound systems, the culture. And when I see Lenny, man, he feels it inside, and he's always been the same guy with me. Some guys, like, I knew them when they were in New York, they were no one. Then now they give me the soft handshake. You know the soft handshake? Oh, I love that handshake. handshake. You know, with the no, with the no, with the no love behind it. It's like, yeah, it's like there's no, it's, like, it. it's like, a, it's like, know you. it's yeah. air. We, in England, we call it the vicar's handshake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I forgot about that. Say hi. Yeah, hi. <laughs> yeah. So, this music has brought everyone that I know. The music has brought us together, and well, now we're going to enter a new zone of it. Let's be yeah. real. There's not a lot of us left from the original crew. No, no. I remember I used to hear a lot of the New York guys when I was 20. Unfortunately, this is when you know HIV and stuff has really wiped out a lot of the original guys in New York. And I was very young then, and I remember there was. There's a guy that worked for Tom, Tommy Boy called Tom Richardson. Oh, I got it. Yeah. And he, he gave me a record to me. And then he passed away a few months later. And, and I didn't understand it fully then because I was just a young kid. But now I understand it because two of my greatest inspirations, which was a guy called Derek Boland, incredible DJ, called Derek B. Um, he had so much charisma. Original mixer. Um, Great on the mic. Um, both him and Paul are gone, and so many others. And so now, like, I want to like carry on, and the music that I'm going to play is going to reflect that. I'm, I'm glad I never went into like commercial music, and and the equipment. What I can do with like tractor and all that stuff now. Oh my goodness! You know, I'm going to kill people. Seriously, because it's the knowledge. When you know the music, in like we do, I live through it. It's just like when I'm at, we talk about fashion at work. I say, listen, I live through punk, new wave, soul boys, new romantic, rude boy, ragamuffin. I understand everything. I didn't, I didn't read about it at university. I was oh, there. You were there. You were wearing it. Come on. I was wearing it. So, so I think. It's just, I've been really blessed, you know. I've been really blessed. And, like, my, my father, bless him, he was 93, he passed away in, in January. But he came to see me play many times, you know. And and when he never said it to me, but when people, local people, used to say, where's Frankie? He used to say, oh, he's in Japan. He's playing out out there. He's a getting out there, you know. You understand? But he never say it to me, you know. No, he tell everybody he's in the neighborhood. Yeah, he's in Australia. Yeah, he's in a big thing out there. He's in. Understand? Yeah, he's big time. Yeah, so he got to see me do what I wanted to do and touch wood. Let me tell you something. 
Let me tell you something. You're an inspiration for a lot of the New York guys, too. Because even Johnny D from Henry Street, all of them talk about you. We've all said, great, great guy, great DJ, excellent taste in music. You were right there. I mean, look, now I'm just going to love every remix you do and every production. But you know what? The body of work speaks for itself, my brother. The body of work speaks. The records that I did. Like the Jimmy Rapolo record, Express Yourself, sampled by so many people, man. There it is. Sampled by gotcha. so many people. And I'm, and I'm not just a house DJ, because my roots come from a lot of different things. So there'll be things that I did. I, I, I have to hand it to guys like DJ like David Morales and, and Steve Hurley and Louis as well. Well, Louis is just a beast. Louis is just a beast. He's a different animal. But I couldn't be in the studio, like, turning out stuff like that, you know? It just really, it was, I couldn't, like, just work to a formula like that and, and do stuff. Not that they're saying It does, take, stuff really it does take a lot of, um, I'm not going to just say dedication, but it does take a lot of, you know, you, it, you, it's like a yeah. regular job. You know, you really got to. Also, but also, I think when you're getting praised all the time, it helps. Was I was doing 100%. stuff and they were hit, and it was, and it was hitting, and I wasn't getting the love from like particular magazines. And I know now, yeah, my mum used to say they're jealous. Don't bother with them. Sounds like a mother. Don't bother with them. Sounds like a mother. But but now I see, and I have to say, it's not. I'm not saying something that's new. It's been widely said now that you know a few publications they never supported like some people in the culture. And I know that has been raised um, before, um, you know, these DJ charts. How can you be resident DJ at Ministry and not in the DJ 100? That makes no sense. So basically what you're saying to me, two plus two doesn't equal four in that case. No, it doesn't, you know. And if you're not so getting is it, that, so is it so I'm um, so people are writing to me and they're saying I'm so glad you're speaking. I'm gonna be real true about this. Was it a racist move on their part to keep you out? I don't know. You guys work figure it out yourselves. But well, I, I know I that to, people here I wrote to one guy. I wrote to one guy right, because give us an instance, no names, no names. Tell us what what yeah. happened. There's a book out, okay, and it didn't mention any of the UK black DJs. And that book is widely regarded as like the Bible of thing. And I wrote, wrote, and there's another book called What Kind of House Party Was This? And I had three pages in that book. And we're all mentioned in that book. And that book came out before this, his book. And that guy is quite a powerful guy. He was the editor of one of these magazines. And I raised that with him. And he just flimflammed me, you know? He just flimflammed me. But you work it out yourself. How can, how can I have done black market? Iron Hope, Acid House, Resident Ministry, and I don't get a mention, a single mention in the book. Yeah, no, someone pretty, else. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you, it's pretty clear to me. Very clear. But I want to keep it all love. It's all love. No, but it's not about it's love. It's just a reality check. It happened. Yeah, it's happened. The realities yeah, are... The realities are this, is why, this, is, this is why, like, I'm approaching, I'm happy to play now because it's about show and prove. And then I see these guys now, they're DJing. These guys that are journalists that I've never met. Everyone that's anyone, we all know each other. 
We all love each other. We all know each other, man. Anyone that knows each other, but these guys are experts, but no one's met them. I've never seen them at a party. <laughs> They've never come and asked me, yo, get me a drink. I'd like to bring up here, we had a forensic expert back from the day. Does anybody know who he is? No. No, but he's written a book. And he's an expert. Yeah, and he, and this book, if you go to Japan, these guys take this as gospel. If you're not in the book, then you're, you're, who are you? You know, so, but what he said, at the end of the day, what is, People that know, know, and I'm getting more than enough love. I get more than enough love. And coming up, we'll, we'll show. Because Pete Tong, love you. Open for love you. Danny, Nikki, all these guys, we've all worked together. And we have all the New York team. So we're talking about a career of 35 years, you know. I've got the platinum plaque. I've got the stuff. And I'm healthy. I'm still good. Touch wood. Um, Garage City, big love to Mickey C. Big love to Zoo Boys. I love you guys with all my heart. You always supported me. Um, even when you guys screamed at me for not doing your gig because I had to play at ministry or whatever, you can stand. It's always love, you know. And it's a celebration. And what you're doing, Lenny, is so important because I can now show this to people and they'll understand what we did. And That's we the did. reason why True House Stories is the show it is. Because these stories don't exist anywhere, and now they do. They're clear. The link, you know, and without without the work groundwork that we put in, you wouldn't have guys now that are doing the stuff that they're doing, and they're doing really well, and I and I love it. And some people call me Uncle Frankie. I love it. And and but now it's great that we have this outlet because before we had to wait for them to do an article on us. Oh. We couldn't tell our story. And I would do a photo shoot and I'd be there all day and then I would get a little picture in music magazine. Yeah. A guy one of the guys asked me once at music magazine, why did I get the ministry residency? Like he was kind of shocked why I got it. Like, why you? Because why why not someone else? <laughs> like, because I'm the person that can hold it down. Any any New York person that comes in, I can hold it. I can hold it. I can start for them. I can finish. I can close. You know. Um, you know. Can I take? Can I share you a story, Frankie? Sure, please. I'm gonna share this with everybody. I had never mentioned this, and it's gonna be the first time mentioning it. So when Eric Murillo got the residency, I was also approached to be the other resident to come on board. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I was during the era of Justin James. Yeah. And when he was running the uh, the bookings, they yeah. promised me, they took me to dinner, the whole deal. Wow. They said, yeah. it's going to be you. So uh, Eric Murillo was subliminal, Lenny Fontana. And I was like, yeah. wow, I'm going to be yeah, a resident. Yeah, yeah. We were going to switch back and forth. Yeah. I didn't get to do that residency. But it's it's it, it's part of our game. You, you get the moments yeah. where you oh, think. Yeah. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, when Eric first started to come over, and you got to remember, Eric's big break was 93. I like to move it. Yeah. He came over, he was great. He, I played some good sets with him, and I really helped him, you know. I really helped him in a lot of ways, like, behind the scenes. Because people would ask me, how did so-and-so do, you know? 
yeah, and I, and I could be like, I never play hated on anyone. I'd be like, yeah, he's good. He did well. Or this guy, not so good. Great guy. Have this guy. You need to book this guy. Lord G, you need to book Lord G. Ted Patterson, book Ted Patterson. I heard this guy in New York at the seminar. Book this guy, whatever. Right. Um, and I helped him a lot. And then he gave me the soft handshake, you know. It's true. But I know, yeah, I know that's, that's, that's our game. That's the game it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it's you signed up for this, you know. It's like being in the Sopranos, you know. You can't just say you get leaving. You're going to go. Remember, Frank, like grab the cannolis, drop the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, Come on, let's you know, go. I miss, <laughs> I, 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 I miss, I miss Frankie. Um, I miss Big Frankie, Frankie Knuckles, a lot. I think of all these guys, and I'm glad that I took that time out because I might not have been in the health and the financial. I don't believe that. You worked out too much. No, you were still in great shape. Yeah. No, I'm just saying mentally, you know, because... Okay, but fair enough, but you always took care of yourself because I remember we always yeah. talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was your, your regimen, DJing and working working out. Uh, yeah, that's I it. always say to Frankie, you look yeah. great. What do you do? Oh, yeah, I do this. I go to the gym. I run. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, but you know, I have to ask people what I was like because I don't remember any of this stuff. You know? I do. I, I remember the, I asked guys, what was I like when I was young? And they said, yeah, very confident. Not cocky, very confident. Yeah, you were like, you, you were like, hey, you know, that was you. Very yeah, relaxed, yeah. comfortable, and, and yeah. in your, in your, in your zone. I'll tell you a I'll tell you a funny story. When Liz Torres came over, we took her out and we couldn't get let into a club with Liz. They wouldn't let us in. They wouldn't let us in. I don't, this, this club, it was a guy I was going to name him. His name was Graham Ball. It was called Enter the Dragon. It was a, this was the hottest club. And Liz has come over and, okay, she's not Grace Jones, but she's Liz Torres, you know. And we went there, and they wouldn't let us in. So that's a little, like, I look into some of the stuff that happened. And I was highly embarrassed. Because this is a lady that was Larry LeVan's favorite artist at the garage. One of his favorite people to have on. She's just come from closing parties. And now they won't let us into a little secret club in London. Anyway, we went to Legends, and Judge Jules was the DJ there. And they let us in. And, uh, but they said, it's okay, we know what's up. We know what's up. And these are just the things. But everything is in balance. You have the good and the bad. And I'm sure some people might see this and they say, oh, this didn't happen this way. But it did. Fortunately, I was there, you know. Um, and uh, it's just what it, it is, what it is, as the, as the techno song says. You know, it is what it is, man, you know. Frankie, it is what it is. And on that note, you are a superstar in our book and you keep doing what you do. You're the best. God damn it. You get back behind those wheels of steel and rock. I'm, I'm there, man. I've got yeah. a lot of exciting stuff coming this summer. I know I'm booked for quite a lot of gigs. I'm getting gigs coming in. You're going to see my page up and running. I have to start to get into the ego of like promoting myself. You will. You will when you feel know. comfortable about it. You'll feel yeah, you'll start to it comes with the territory. You'll see. It'll start becoming like your day to day. Yeah. 
But, so Frank um, does some fabulous tailoring. I've seen the work he does. It's thank like, you, man. thank you. Yo, I thank need you. some tailoring. So <laughs> uh, I got you, man. I got you. When we talk off air, I got you. I'm gonna get um, all your stuff, and I got you back. I got you. All, anyways, all love, man. Thank love you to bro. all the people that support support this brother because he's our brother and he's doing something great for Dean and it's from the heart and he deserves all the continued success that he has. Um, he's always treated me like family and I consider him family and he's given me an opportunity to tell my story and I'll be forever grateful. Karen, you're a new friend, but you're going to be a very long time friend. Oh. You've got an amazing assistant there. Big things are destined for her. She loves house music. She's a house music She's fanatic. So great. Thank you so much, Lenny. I hope, I hope everyone enjoyed my story.